Uh, if you have your Bible, turn with me to First Samuel chapter 18. We're going to be looking at a couple of different passages. They're printed for you in your bulletin, and so you'll see uh, the text uh, that are there. We're going to be looking at those. We've been studying the life of David this fall, and specifically we're looking at through First and Second Samuel, and specifically we're kind of looking at this idea of what Eugene Peterson calls earthy spirituality. And basically it's how David actually shows us what the ordinary kind of everyday Christian life really looks like as a person, uh, as a man after God's own heart, as David is described. Yes, he was a king, of course, he's different than us, but at the same time, uh, he's just like, he's a real person, just like us. And the thing we're going to see this morning is that the ordinary Christian life involves friendship. You will never make it as a Christian in this life without people involved in your life because Christianity from beginning to end is meant to take place, not Lone Ranger Christianity, but from beginning to end it's about a people moving forward in the world. It's about relationships and friendships. And we're going to see in this passage this morning is David does not survive. He does not live without real friendship. Without it, he does not make it. And so think about that as we read First Samuel chapter 18 uh, this morning. I'll look at 1 through 4 and then I'll prompt us and we will skip down to chapter 20. And you're welcome to turn there in your Bible as well. This is God's word. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Down to chapter 20, verses 30 and following. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled a spear at him to strike him. And so Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. 
And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to come help us. Father, you tell us that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray that your word would come and pierce our hearts in the best of ways uh, this morning because we really need it. Because if we're honest, oftentimes, Lord, we come to things like this. We've been coming for a long time, some of us our entire life, and we get bored. And um, it tends to maybe go in one ear and out the other. And so we pray that you would stir us up and not let that happen this morning, that you would take this word and apply it to our hearts and actually move us in a very real way. Would you apply this to our lives very specifically and show us our need for good godly friendships. Convince us that we really need people this morning if we're ever going to thrive in the Christian life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a study, it's actually an 80-year-old study. It was the Harvard Grant Study. And again, it's, it's about 80 years old, and it was started by the Harvard Medical School. And basically what they did was take all the men in a particular class. Harvard was men only at that time, and they took all the men in a particular class, and they were going to follow them for their entire life and seek to answer one question. And it's a pretty lofty goal, but their goal was to find the key to happiness, Find the thing that made a person uh, at the end of their life says, I had a great life, and I am content, and I'm full of joy and happiness. And what's interesting is they would, every five years or so, they would meet with these men, and they would do several things. They would give them a physical of sorts to check their physical health. They looked into their finances, and they looked at, uh, how their careers had had gone and the triumphs and the failures of a person's career. And then they looked at their marriage and kind of did marriage counseling with these men to see the health of their marriage. And at the end, the results were jaw-dropping, startling results. Here's what they found. They found many things, but the most important finding was this, that the only thing that really matters in a person's life is relationships, friendships, close friendships and relationships more than anything else, more than fame and more than money was the thing in these men's life that led to joy and contentment and to happiness and fulfillment. Quoting, those ties, those friendships and relationships protected people from life's discontentments. They helped to delay mental and physical decline and were better predictors of a long and happy life more than social class, IQ, and even genetics. And the question then becomes, well, why in the world is that? Well, the Harvard Medical School would not say this, but as Christians, we have an answer in the Bible. It's how you are made as a human being created in the image of God. You see, the Bible says that 
friendship is essential to your humanity this morning. That friendship is fundamental to your existence. And we see it at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God speaking says, let us, doesn't say let, make, you know, let, it says make me, let us make man in our image. God is speaking not in the singular, but in the plural. He says us. And so what we learn from the very beginning of the Bible is that the Christian God is a God that exists in community. The perfect community. The perfect friendship that exists, what we call the Trinity or the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so what can we draw from that? This. Friendship is at the very heart of God. It's at the very center of who God is. And you, as human beings, are created in the image of God. And so you know what that means? Friendship and relationship is at the very center of what it means to be human. It's one of the ways that you reflect the image of God. Friendship and relationship is part of your DNA. You cannot survive. You cannot thrive and flourish in this life and be all that you created to be without deep friendship. You see, it's why loneliness is so, so painful. It's why loneliness feels so wrong and is dehumanizing. The reason why that is is because you were made for community. You were made for relationship and for friendship. And so this morning, if you haven't guessed it, we're going to talk about friendship. Last couple of weeks, we've talked about courage, and last week, envy. This week, we're talking about friendship. And we see that in these chapters. In chapters 18 through 20, the, uh, a device that the Hebrew writers would use would often be they would bracket things to kind of close off a section and kind of highlight the main point. And we see that in 18 through 20. Beginning of verse 18, what do you find? What's highlighted? The friendship of David and Jonathan. At the very end of 20, you see the writer highlighting that covenant language again with David and Jonathan in order to emphasize what the point is of those chapters and its deep, biblical, rich friendship. And so here's this morning, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at their friendship with hopes that we might gain something that might just help us with our friendships here this morning. Three marks we see here of true, real friendship. First one is commitment. Secondly, it's vulnerability. And then thirdly and finally, we'll see the mark of sacrifice, sacrificial friendships. Let's look at number one, commitment. Look at chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. So let me highlight or just kind of recap here. King Saul is still in power. Even though David, remember he was secretly chosen uh, as God's choice to be the king, but David is still kind of ruling and reigning. It hadn't gone public quite yet. And Jonathan is Saul's son. And so if you think about that, who should be in line for the throne? Not David, Jonathan. He's the heir to the throne. And so... If you think about that, that's really amazing because Jonathan should hate David. He should despise him. 
He should be more jealous and envious of David than anyone in the world because David is on the throne or has been chosen as the next in line. But that's not the way Jonathan responds. It's amazing. Jonathan responds with great humility and acknowledges that David is God's choice and actually becomes best friends with David. You see that. Look at verse 1. Jonathan loved David as his own soul. Verse 3, he made a covenant with David. What is, we don't use that kind of language much anymore. What does it mean to be in covenant with someone? Well, we could say a lot about that, but it means really deep commitment. The image is this. Back then, you know, have you heard of the term cut a deal? Well, they would cut a covenant. And to cut a covenant, you would basically cut an animal in two. You would separate it. You would grab hands with whoever you're making that covenant with. In this case, Jonathan and David, and you would walk through it. And then you look and say, if I break my word, if I do not hold good on this commitment and on this covenant that I'm making with you, let what, and see what happened to those animals? You let what happened to them happen to me. And you start thinking, well, okay, that sounds really good, but Jason, what does that actually look like? <laughs> what does that look like when it's played out in a relationship? Well, it looks like lots of things. One of the ways it looks is marriage. <laughs> but it also looks like this in friendship. Look at chapter 20, verses 30 through 34. You can kind of see one, it, we could say a lot, but look at what we see here in this passage. It, as it relates to a covenantal friendship. And so Jonathan informs David, basically, my dad's trying to kill you. And Saul gets very angry because he finds out that his son Jonathan is going behind his back and telling David his every move in order to protect him. And so Saul is furious. And you see this interaction starting in verse 30 through 31. He gets very angry at Jonathan, and says some really, that's some pretty strong stuff to say to your son. (laughs) Pretty horrible things he says to him, and about uh, the mother of Jonathan. And he even, you know, he must have a thing for spears, because he tries to kill his son with a spear again, and pin him to a wall. But here's what I want us to see, verse 32 through 34. Look at this commitment. Look at this covenant that we see kind of lived out. And so Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food for the second day of the month, for he was grieved, and here it is, for he was grieved for David. Did you catch that? Because his father had disgraced him. Now think about that just for a second with me. If that's you and you're Jonathan, I don't think I'm grieved for David. I'm grieved about my relationship with my father and the horrible things that he just said about me and the things that he said about my mother and the fact that my own father tried to pin me to a wall with a spear. That's what I'm grieving about, but not Jonathan. (laughs) He's grieving for David because his father had disgraced David. So what do we learn from this? Well, we see incredible commitment in friendship. 
we see a willingness for Jonathan, even to his own parents, and we all know how hard that is. Think about that. His own parents were talking negatively and saying something negative about David. And Jonathan stands up for his friend. Jonathan is not, he doesn't care one bit about his own safety and security. He cares about the safety and security of his friend. And I don't know about you, but this is very, very challenging in our culture. Because commitment like this, if we're honest, has drifted. You see, we are way more comfortable today with what I call consumer friendships. We're all about contracts, but not so much about covenantal friendships. What's the difference? Well, think of it this way. I have a contract or a contractual relationship with AT&T. They have our cell service, U-verse, internet, and I pay them to offer those services. And if I violate those services, that contract, and don't pay for many, many months, what do they do? They flip a switch and they cancel the service. But you know what? The same is true on my end. If I don't like what they're doing and they're not upholding their end of the bargain, I can get out of the contract too. If I find a better deal, something more appealing, then I can get out of the contract. Sure, I might have to pay an extra fee or whatever. I might have to spend hours and hours and hours on the phone. And it might disrupt my life a little bit and be a headache, but I can get out of it. I can opt out and upgrade. That's the way we often think about friendship. It's a contract. And we agree to be committed to one another, but if the other person uh, that we're in agreement with, if we don't like what they're doing or they wrong us in some way or mistreat us in some way, I'll just cancel the contract. I'm out. I'll find another friend group. If I'm not happy with you anymore, I'll look for a better option. Or if a better friend group comes along that's more appealing and makes me more socially acceptable, I'm out. That's not a covenant. That is a contract. That is consumerism. Friendship involves real commitment. And could it be this morning that the reason why we don't have many deep friendships or we tend to float around from friend group to friend group is because we treat them like AT&T. Proverbs, it's all over the place. If you want to learn about friendship, just read the Proverbs. Start this month and whatever day of the month it is, read that proverb. And you'll see friendship popping up everywhere But one of my favorite Proverbs is 17.17. It says, a friend loves some of the time. A friend loves at all times. Good, bad times. A friend is someone who is all in. In other words, it's not based on convenience. It's not, oh, I'll be your friend as long as you're being nice to me and this is working for me or as long as we're getting along or this is being of some benefit or as long as you're useful to me or I'll be your friend as long as this is socially acceptable and you are 
helping me to advance socially in the community. No, a friend is someone who loves at all times. It is commitment. Here's what friendship is. It is two people looking at one another across the table and saying, I don't like you at all right now. But I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere because I am committed to you. We are in covenant together. You have friends like that. Do you have those kinds of friendships in your life? At least one. And listen, don't hear me say, you cannot have friends like, you cannot be friends like this with everybody. That'd be exhausting. That's not what I'm saying. You've got to have friends, and it's totally normal to have what I call TCB friends, taking care of business friends. (laughs) You've got to have transactional relationships. That's part of life. But if you don't have these kinds of friends, any at all, you will be a lonely person because you are meant by the way you are made to be in this kind of relationship with other people. I love the proverb, a friend is someone who sticks closer than a brother. We could say it this way, true friendships, real friendships have some stickiness to them. They're gritty. They have some tenacity to them, some commitment to them. Uh, This idea of looking and saying, I will not abandon you when things get hard or when you annoy me or when better options come along. Secondly, true friendship, as we see here, involves vulnerability. Look at the beginning of chapter 18 again, verses 1. Well, let's look at verse 1. You can see it all through 1 through 4 there. But it says that Jonathan's soul was knit to David's. It says they loved each other. We see it twice. They loved each other as their own souls. Now, that's very rich. That's very intimate language that's being used to describe uh, their relationship. And then look at uh, chapter 20 at the end. David rose fell face down on the ground, and they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. How comfortable are you with this picture? Two men weeping together, embracing and kissing one another. Now, listen, to be sure, there's a lot of cultural stuff in here. Uh, They greeted one another with a holy kiss, or departed that way, now we do a hug or a handshake. So there's some cultural differences here. But what I want you to see is get the picture of this vulnerability and this openness that exists between them in this friendship. They know one another deeply. They share everything with one another. They embrace one another and can cry in front of one another. And I know some of you would maybe look at this, and I get it, And maybe some of you guys are looking and saying, I don't know, man, these guys seem wimpy. And with all due respect, and guys, I love you, and this is me included, but David and Jonathan could take any of us in this room right now. We wouldn't last 15 minutes back then. They're not wimps. Think about David. He killed a bear and a lion with his bare hands and a nine-footer. Goliath with a rock. 
I'm quite certain he could take us. <laughs> My point is this. These guys are real men that had real friendship with one another. You see, a true friend is someone with whom you can let your guard down. Someone with whom you can cry in front of and be broken in front of and be honest in front of, with whom you can weep and they will weep with you. And so do you have them? Do you have these kinds of friends that you can be broken and vulnerable in front of? Do you have someone you can cry when you need to cry? Do you have a friend that knows you at this level where you can go below the service, below taking care of business, and get down who knows what you struggle with? Who knows the things that keeps you up at night, the things that make you feel insecure, or the things that embarrass you? Do you have friends that you can go and share on that level with? If not, then you don't have any real friends. Friendship, the way the Bible talks about it. And on the one hand, we hear something like this, and if you're like me, I'm like, oh, I, I so want that. You're like, for someone to know me that way and to have that kind of friendship with another person. But on the other hand, it's like, whoa, stiff arm. <laughs> Don't come any closer. Because for most of us, this kind of vulnerability makes us very afraid. It does me. Because what that means is that someone would actually know us at that level And we're afraid because we don't want them to leave us or hurt us or reject us or turn away in fear fear and disgust when they find out what's really going on deep on the inside. In the Museum of Modern Art, uh, back in 2010, there's this Serbian artist by the name of Marina Abramovic. Probably might be familiar with this, but she did this exhibit and the Museum of Modern Art called The Artist is Present. For 30 days, she sat in a chair with a small table, and on the other side of the table was an empty chair. And so as people would come through the Museum of Modern Art, they would see this exhibit, and they were invited to come and to sit down in the chair. And there was one visitor who sat in 30 days, came and sat down in that chair 21 times. It's a little creepy. But here's what I want you to hear about it, is if you go back and look at the photos of this, the artist is present exhibit, you know what you'll find is they snap pictures of the people that were sitting in these chairs across from Marina Abramovic. Almost all of the people started weeping. Now, why in the world would someone weep? Well, it's very simple. Because everybody in the world, every human being wants someone to see them and to know them and to look at them, not with eyes of scorn, but with eyes of acceptance. And that's what Abramovic was doing in the exhibit. And it led people to tears. You see, real friends like Jonathan and David 
are someone that you can look across the table at and you can be completely vulnerable with and they see you not with eyes of scorn, but with eyes of acceptance. And my question is, do you have friends like that? Do you have what I call pajama friends? <laughs> sweatpant friends, you know what I mean? Like, that can see you when you're wearing your Sunday sweatpants or Saturday, whatever day you wear your sweatpants, that can come marching up into your house and you don't care. Do you have friends? Sweatpant friends. <laughs> Do you have friends that you don't have to be on for and perform for and say just the right thing in just the right way? Do you have friends that you don't have to clean the house for and dress up and put your makeup on? You see, real friends are friends that can walk into the messiness of your life and not blink. Not blink. Thirdly, Sacrificial. Real friends are sacrificial. And you see this very clearly here. Look at verse 4 of chapter 18 again. I'm, I'm kind of pulling some from last week. But remember, Jonathan should have gone to the throne. And that's why it's, we just kind of breeze by verse 4. But don't breeze by it. He gives up his robe and his armor and his sword and gives them to David. That's unheard of. Again, normally you try to take the person out that is going for your throne that you deserve. Not Jonathan. He willingly gives it up and he sacrifices his rights for the good of another person. You have got to feel this. Jonathan is giving up everything. It cost him his father's approval, right? His father wanted to kill him. It eventually, if you keep reading, cost him his life. He gives up his power and his wealth and his influence for who? For his friend. And the amazing thing is Jonathan thought it was all worth it. You see, what we learn here is that if you want real friends in this life, it's going to cost you. It will be very sacrificial because real friendship will cut into your priorities. It will cut into your space. It will cut into how you do your life. And you know what it will cut into the most? Something that's very precious to me. Time. It will cut into your time. You know what it's going to cut into? And yes, I know this is hard for some of us to hear. In order to have real friends, it will cut into your family time. A time that we guard with our life. You see, you cannot have both. You cannot have your schedule just the way you want it and your priorities and your calendar and do everything it is that you want to do and have good real friends because real friendship is costly. And we could end here. And if we ended here, we could say, yes, true biblical friendship marked by commitment and vulnerability and sacrifice. Now go to it. But you know, as we stop and pause here for a second, the thing that comes to my mind is two things. One, I so want this. I so want this in my life. But the second thing that comes to mind 
is I'm such a bum. (laughs) I'm not this kind of friend. And I so long to be this kind of friend with other people. And so the question then becomes, how can we get it? How do we get friendships like David and Jonathan? You know how it starts with you, not with, yes, we need to pray that God would bring us these friends, but it starts with us being a good friend. And so how do you become a good friend? Well, the key to it all is Jonathan. And if you were to read chapters 18 through 22, here's what you would discover, and it's amazing. You would discover that David's life is saved primarily by Jonathan's friendship. The whole reason that David's alive is because of Jonathan. Jonathan was a somebody who made himself a nobody for his friends. Friends, this section of the scripture is screaming at us this morning that salvation comes through friendship. Salvation comes through friendship. You cannot miss this. Here it is. And that should sound very familiar. Salvation through friendship. Does that sound like Jesus, the greater David? Who came centuries later. And the whole reason he came into the world, he describes in John chapter 15, you remember Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus came into the world to make his enemies, that's us, people who are selfish and prideful and uh, disloyal, to make us his friends. You see, the way that you get the power to have true friendship in your life is when you realize that you already have a Jonathan. You already have a Jonathan. You have someone way better than Jonathan. You have the true Jonathan. You have the greater Jonathan, the Lord Jesus Christ. And think about Jesus. Was Jesus committed to you? You see, if you trust in Jesus, he makes a covenant with you. And he says, nothing, not even your worst day, can separate you from my love. That I am bound to you in covenant. And no matter what you do, I will never turn away. I will be there. Was Jesus vulnerable? (laughs) Does it get any more vulnerable than being stripped naked? And having your arms spread out as far as they possibly can, hanging on a cross. You see, Jesus was vulnerable. And that gives you and I the courage to go and to be vulnerable and to be honest about our life with another person. How about sacrificial? Jonathan wasn't the only one to sacrifice a throne. Jesus sacrificed his throne. He stepped out of heaven and came into our neighborhood. Jesus was a somebody and became a nobody for you. And you see, that's it. When we trust in Jesus, Jesus becomes our friend. The best friend that we will ever have. And it's Jesus' friendship with us that gives us the strength to be good friends and to also have good friends. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is very simple.
we thank you that you have been such good friends to us. And we ask that you would come and help us to be these kinds of friends to the people around us. And we pray and ask that you would give us good friends. Some of us are very lonely and we need community and we don't know how to do it. And so would you provide good, deep friendships for us? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.